Amen, amen, amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, get with me to John chapter 4. If you need a Bible and a seat back somewhere nearby you, you will find a copy of God's Word as we continue our walk through the Gospel of John. Uh, uh, roughly 2,000 years ago, a woman um, went on a walk, and it was a walk she no doubt made uh, probably every day, and it was a, a walk to do a, a, a relatively menial task that she would have done every day. Um, this was a walk by herself, um, probably due to the fact that she was a sinful social outcast in her city. And yet, um, as this woman makes her way to carry out what would have been a relatively menial everyday task, her life is absolutely flipped upside down. And this, this sinful social outcast on a walk to a well returns to spark one of the greatest revivals that their town had ever seen. Now, what happened? What has to happen to a sinful social outcast to be transformed and used by God to lead, to become a catalyst to one of the greatest revivals in a town? What happened? Or a better question is, who happened? And the answer to that is she met Jesus. We have in the scriptures, in John chapter 4, we, we have this unnamed woman. All we know her as throughout history is the woman at the well. But what we have in John chapter 4 is one of the greatest stories of how Jesus intentionally pursues the heart of sinners. Is that good news for us this morning? He, he sets out and he puts us in his crosshairs and he says, I'm coming for your heart. I'm coming for your heart. And then when, when a sinner's eyes are opened, when the curtain is pulled back and they see Jesus, they're transformed to become a worshiper of him. And once a worshiper, they cannot contain the joy that Jesus has filled their heart with. This is exactly what we will see in John chapter 4. Big idea of today is simply this. Jesus is seeking you out to worship him and then sends you out to witness about him. And so I just want to warn you, if you come in here this morning, not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, uh, not calling yourself a Christian, I just want to give you a loving warning. Watch out. He's coming for you. He's got his crosshair set on your heart. And just as this woman would say for the rest of her life, she met Jesus at a well that day. You may say, leaving here today, you met Jesus at this church this day. And so let me pray for us and let God's word go to work on our hearts. Father, Lord, we pray right now for a mighty work of your spirit. And Lord, we know that your spirit delights in it enlightening our hearts as we study your word. And so, Lord, may your word go forth clearly, boldly, and rightly. And would the preacher of your word hide himself behind your word this morning. Work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the setting of this encounter. It begins in John chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, 
near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, all of this is is setting up this encounter between Jesus and this woman that we're about to see here. And but but a, a little bit of kind of just getting our bearings on where Jesus has been and where Jesus is going. Jesus was up in the north around a Galilee, and we got a map here that you'll see. He made his way down at the end of uh, John chapter two to Jerusalem, and it was in Jerusalem that we looked at this conversation last week between Jesus and Nicodemus, this ruling leader. Now, we have in John chapter 3 in verse 22 that Jesus, after being in Jerusalem, he went out to the Judean countryside. And this is where chapter 4 picks it up. They're they're in the countryside or the rural areas of Judea down in the south. And it says, um, he hears the Pharisees are like, wow, this guy is growing in popularity. And Jesus, knowing that his time for crucifixion is not yet, says, we better make our way back to the north for a bit. But on their way back to the north, they pass through Samaria. And Jesus Jesus passes through Samaria with a purpose. There's a divine appointment to be had at a well outside of this town of Sychar. He's got a worshiper to make. He's got a worshiper to make. Now in verse 7, it says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us some commentary here. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so if you can picture this scene, Jesus has sat down by a well outside of the town of Sychar. His disciples have gone into the town to buy food. And now a woman comes up. And it appears that this woman comes up all by herself. Remember, we are told uh, at what time of day this is. Uh, It said this was at the sixth hour. This is high noon. This is the hottest part of the day. Women typically would have traveled in the early morning hours in the cool of the day to get the water, their daily water. This woman is coming by herself. Why? Because uh, no one else would associate with her most likely for reasons we are going to find out as the story continues. So here she is in the middle of the day and Jesus does something shocking. He says something shocking. What did he say? Will you give me a drink? Will you draw me some water? Now, this leaves this woman absolutely confused, absolutely intrigued, and absolutely wondering why. The reason is, what John tells us, is that Jews and Samaritans, they have no dealings with each other. They don't interact. Now, in order to understand the level of rift between Jews and Samaritans, and now it's deeper than a rift. In order to understand the utter disdain between Jews and Samaritans, we we have to go to our Bible history class for a minute. 
Um, we have to understand that some 750-ish years before this, this divide began. It, it began all the way back in Israel's divided kingdom. And now, let me take us to Bible history class for a moment. And let me quote what D.A. Carson has to say about this divide. He says, King Omri, who is the sixth king of the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, King Omri named the new capital of the northern kingdom Samaria, which name was then transferred to the district and sometimes to the entire northern kingdom. After the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722-721 BC, they deported all the Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion. Just stop there. You can read about all that in 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18. But just so we understand, uh, an invasion comes in. Assyria removes all of the, what Carson calls, all of the, the citizens of status. They're all taken away in exile. But some of the lower class citizens, some of the poor remain. Foreigners come in and they intermarry. Now, keep going. After the exile, Jews returning to their homeland, the remains of the southern kingdom, viewed the Samaritans, hear it now, some 750 years, 700 years before this encounter right here, viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. About 400 BC, the Samaritans erected a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. Toward the end of the second century BC, this combination of events fueled religious and theological animosities. Certainly by the first century, the Samaritans had developed their own religious heritage based on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They did not accept the other books of the Hebrew Bible as canonical, continuing to focus their worship not on Jerusalem and its temple, but on Mount Gerizim. So hundreds of years before this encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well, you have two different groups of people with a different lineage, with a different take on the scriptures, and with a different focus of where the place of worship was to be. And this has led to generation after generation of hundreds of years of an absolute divide, there I call it hatred of one another. And so when Jesus shows up at the well, and with a, when, a, when a Samaritan woman walks up, and when Jesus says, can I have a drink? She is shocked. This doesn't happen. But Jesus isn't after a drink from her. What's he interested in? He's interested in giving her heart a drink of water that she is longing for. Look what happens in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, well, let me stop and ask, is Jesus talking about actual physical water? 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, a source of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I can relate to her. I am such a literalist. You try sarcasm with me sometimes, and I'm like, oh, really? Like I'm being sarcastic. Jesus is having a conversation about her spiritual reality. He is making an offer to whoever of, of living water, and it, and it rings of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where we read these words in the Hebrew Scriptures. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so Jesus is making an offer to her. If you knew who I am, it wouldn't be me asking you for a literal cup of water. It would have been you asking me for living water to satisfy the thirst of your soul. Jesus is after her worship today. It's just the very first point I want you to write down this morning. Jesus pursues us to make us worshipers of him. Jesus pursues us to make us worshipers of him. He is after us today to become worshipers of him. He's after her this day to become a worshiper of him. He's making the offer to her of this living water. Now, if you remember last week in this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, we, we, Jesus did a similar thing. He used a physical reality to illustrate a, a spiritual principle. He was talking to Nicodemus about a new birth. You, you must be born again. He was talking to him about this need for a spiritual birth. In the same way here, Jesus encounters this woman and he knows exactly what she's looking for. And he uses this physical reality of her thirst and of her coming for water to speak to her spiritual reality. I have living water that will satisfy your soul. And yet she is not understanding it. It's not clicking. Jesus throughout this conversation is slowly pulling the curtain back on who he is. And she is not yet seeing. And so Jesus does something next. And to, to open her heart to see her spiritual need. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus is opening her heart to see her spiritual need. So he says, I have this living water. She's not getting it. She said, give me this water so I never, have to, I never get thirsty again. I never have to come back here. And Jesus is now going to go right at the bullseye of her heart. And he says, um, go bring me your husband. And I want you to imagine the silence at that well. I want you to imagine her head hung. I want you to imagine the shame. I want you to imagine her wondering who told him. I've never met this guy in my life, and how does he know? Because everywhere this woman would have walked in her town, in the marketplace every day, the people would have whispered behind her, five husbands, and she's living with a guy now. Every time someone would have thrown this in her face, it would have been for the purpose of shame. But Jesus isn't throwing this in her face for the purpose of shame. Jesus is bringing this before her to show her the living water that he has to offer her today. Go bring your husband. I have no husband. He says, I know. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband either. Jesus is bringing her sin before her, not to shame her, but to show her that he's the Savior her heart's been looking for, the living water she must drink from. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not all too different from this woman at the well. Before we meet Jesus, we dip the work, worship bucket of our life, so to speak, in broken wells that can never satisfy the thirst of our soul. Do you agree? Do you agree? And even after Jesus... We can still be tempted at time to dip the worship bucket of our life into these wells that cannot satisfy the thirst of our souls. Let's talk for a minute about some of these broken wells. Uh, there, there, there's the broken well of pleasure. And, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about the good kind of pleasure that, that's God-honoring and within the bounds of which God says. I'm, I'm talking about the fact that it's so easy for us as human beings to lower the worship bucket of our life into the well of pleasure, illicit, illicit pleasure that can never satisfy our soul. We turn back again and again to things we wish we would not turn back to. We look again and again at things we wish we would not look, up, look onto. And there's a lie from the enemy. If we'll do it one more time, if we'll look again, if we'll, we'll partake in this, if we'll go after this, that we'll finally experience pleasure. But you and I both know every time we dip our, the bucket of our lives into this well of illicit pleasure, we just leave ourselves more thirsty, do we not? It's a bad well. It's a broken well. We can be tempted to dip the bucket of our life into the worship well of more, more, more money, more stuff, more house. And we can tie our worship to this reality of more. If I'll just have more, if I'll just get more, if we just had more money. But you and I both know more is a bad well to worship in, is it not? I've never caught more, have you? 
The more I pursue it, the more it just keeps running. I literally knew this block was in my sermon this week. And so every day the Lord made me drive past the well of more in the form of a beautiful, shiny, orange Kubota tractor for sale. (laughs) Now what you need to know is when we bought our house, it came with a Kubota tractor. Praise the Lord. Did I get an amen? Some guy in the middle is like, hey, Matt, praise him. He's like, you want physical expression? Kubota, come on, baby. (laughs) It's a 1987. It's as old as I am. It starts up every time. It is old faithful. But every day this week, there's a beautiful, shiny, with all of the three-point hitch attachments a man's heart could ever desire. I was driving up here to prayer captain one night. The kids were with me. I was like, boys, and L. L doesn't care as much, but <laughs> boys, look at that. And Kason's like, dad, let's buy it. <laughs> and the wisdom from a seven-year-old never sounded more wise. <laughs> and so I actually began to calculate in my brain, if I sold the other one, if I, I, this is all news to Erica, okay? Because I knew not even to bring it up with her, right? Like, I began to count if I sold that one. And then I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Thank you, Lord, for a 1987 beat up Kubota tractor that you gave us with this house. But isn't there something so alluring about the well of more, more, more? I've never caught more. We, we can, on and on we could go. We, we can dip our, the, the worship bucket of our life into the well of career, climb the ladder, get the corner office, and yet there's something when we attach our worship to that that just doesn't work. We, we can, we can uh, 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 drop the worship bucket of our life down into the well of popularity. And, 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 and can I speak to the young people here for a second? Um, likes on social media... It's, it's all just a facade. I was sitting at a table a couple years ago, and um, someone was sitting at the table, probably late teens at the time, maybe 20, and they were enamored, like enamored, with like, oh my goodness, that tick or TikTok or whatever it is, got this many, and I'm like, oh my goodness. That is like making your week. It's all a facade. It's all a facade. It's a bad place to attach a worship bucket to and dip it down into that well. And and so this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's not bringing this up to shame her. He's bringing this up to open up the hole in her heart. In short, there's a worship hole that five husbands in and now the living boyfriend cannot fulfill for you. And I'm here with living water. I'm here as living water. Come and drink. And she knows, I think she knows, that Jesus is going after the worship of her heart here. And so she she follows up with something so interesting, with, with, with a question about worship. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I love that response. Um, okay, you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. Our, father, our fathers, here's, here's the heart of the question. 
our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So Jesus has got the crosshairs again on the worship of her heart. He, he has brought this before to expose the worship hole that's there so that she will come and drink from him as living water. And now she sees this. She's like, okay, you're, you're a prophet. Let, let's talk worship. Let, let's talk religion. Is, is worship on this mountain or that mountain? Remember, that's one of the greatest divides between Jew and Samaritan. Jews say worship should happen on Mount Zion, Temple Mount. Samaritan said worship should happen on Mount Gerizim. And now what she does, listen to me now, every eye up here, every eye up here. This is so important. Do I got every eye? What she does is so like us. Here's what I mean. When Jesus is zeroing in on your heart, Brock, I want, I want, I want to talk about your worship I want to talk about where you're, you're dipping down into the wrong wells. Brock, I'm coming for you. Chris, he's coming for you. Your heart right here. I want your heart. I want to talk about your heart. I want to talk about your worship. Human nature says, let's talk about religion in general. Let's talk about the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism. Let's talk about theories of creation. This is what we do to sound spiritual. But when the Lord is coming and says, I want to talk about your heart, we so easily can generalize it. But Jesus is coming after her heart. And I got to make a long walk now to get back up there. <laughs> He's coming after her heart. And he wants to talk about her worship. And he's about to do it right now. He's about to teach her what worship is really about. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and I want you to say the next part out loud. But the hour is coming, and, and is now here. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, in what? And what? In spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the woman said, okay, I, I see you're a prophet. You know things about me that you shouldn't know. Okay, here's a question for you. This mountain or that mountain? And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about this mountain or that mountain. It's not about here or there. What's worship about? It's about spirit and truth. This is what God is after. God is after people who will worship in truth. People who have a right understanding of who God is. Do you know we can't worship God properly if we don't properly know who he is? Our hearts can never respond in worship to a wrong view of who God is. It's about worship and truth. But that truth must be activated in our heart. 
There must, our spiritual eyes must be open. We are spiritual beings. We are, we are not primarily physical beings with a spirit. We're primarily spiritual beings with a, with a physical body. S- someone, the Spirit of God, has to open our eyes for all of this truth about God to be activated in our hearts so we worship him for who he is. We must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit. And when that happens, the truth of who God is is activated by the Spirit of God. And we become spirit and truth worshipers, regardless of where we are, regardless if it's this mountain or that mountain. And so the Lord says, Jesus says, worship isn't ultimately about, okay, Samaritans over there and Jews over there and these people over there. He's about, no, 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 no. It's about wherever you are, worshiping in spirit and truth. And so this whole time, Jesus has been pulling the curtain of her heart back, showing her more of who he is, more of who he is, more of who he is. And now here's the mic drop moment. She's going to see him. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The whole conversation. He's been slowly pulling the curtain back. Oh, you, if you would ask me, I'd have given you living water. He's revealing his, her sin before her. Oh, I, I can see you're a prophet. He says some more things about worship, pulling the curtain back more. And she goes, ah, but when the Messiah comes, then we'll know all this. And he says, and I love picturing how he say it. Like, I love, I love picturing how the whole conversation, he has set her up for that moment with a big smile on his face. He's like, that's me. <laughs> and she sees him. She sees him. A sinful social outcast who no one in her town probably was interested in having a conversation like this. Jesus has gone by divine appointment to this well on this day at this time to pursue the heart of this sinful woman. Because Jesus is after the pursuing the heart of sinners. And that's really good news for me. And it's really good news for you. Oh, that you would see him today. That the Spirit of God would enlighten your eyes to see the Savior who has come to save you from your sin. Now, how do we know that she saw him? We know by her response. Second part, quickly, the message. Second, so Jesus has come to pursue the heart of us. Jesus pursues us to make us worshipers of him. Then, then our worship overflows to witness about him. How do we know she saw him? Look at what happens next. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So, this conversation at the well, Jesus says, I am he. When the Messiah comes, we'll know all this. No, I am he. She takes off back into town. And now you have a revival. Now you have people coming to faith. Now you have people finding eternal life all over her town. How do we know she responded? She saw who Jesus was. She was worshiping for who he was by the overflow of witness that poured from her life. And a couple lessons from this woman that we can take with us today. Witnessing lessons from the woman at the well. Some witnessing lessons from the woman at the well. The first witnessing lesson we see from the woman at the well is this. We will leave behind what was once important to us to go make him known. You remember what it said here? After Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Verse 28 told us, so the woman left what? So the woman left what? Her water jar. What was she going to the well for? Her water Jesus reveals himself to her, and in her joy, she leaves behind the very thing she was going for. When we see Jesus for who he is, when we meet him, when we're worshiping over him, we will leave behind what was once important to us to go make him known. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow, will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Another witnessing lesson from the woman at the well. The second one is this. We'll witness out of an overflow of joyful worship. Remember, what time was she coming to the well? What time was it? Sixth hour, it says in the Bible, noon, during the heat of the day, most likely to avoid the association with the other women who would have been there early in the morning. Now, she meets Jesus. She runs back into the town. She does not care. She is telling people about Jesus out of an overflow of joy. And it leads to the third lesson we see from the woman at the well. Third, we will lay aside our fears of what others will think. Here she is, the social outcast of the town, going back and saying, you got to meet this guy. 
You have to come see someone who told me everything that I ever did. One of the greatest barriers for believers in the room that we run into in talking to other people about Jesus and witnessing about what he has done in our life and boldly proclaiming that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world that every heart needs, it's fear. It's fear of what others will think. But when we see him for who he is, when our heart is filled with worship over who he is, we won't care what other people think. Because our joy of his saving work outweighs any fear or nervousness of what another might think of us. And the last witnessing lesson from the one at the well, the fourth, we will simply lead the people to come see Jesus. I love what it says. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you know, all we're trying to do is we're witnessing to the saving work of Jesus. We're just trying to lead people to meet Jesus for themselves. We're not trying to lead people to just be busy with religious activity. We're not trying to just lead people to attend church with us. We're leading people to see Jesus for themselves. And when they see Jesus, when they meet Jesus for themselves, they worship. And out of the overflow of that worship, they witness. Now, church, all of this that we've said today, Jesus is seeking you out. Jesus is seeking you out to worship him. And then he sends you out to witness about him. Now, today cannot just be about information. Today must be about transformation. What will we do with this? The first I will tell you is this. If you've walked into this room today, and today might be the very first day, you see like the woman at the well saw that Jesus is the Messiah. It means he's the savior of your sin. That he's come and he's lived a perfect life and he's, he's died in your place for your sin and he's called you to himself by faith. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is calling you to believe today. Just as this woman would say for the rest of her life, I met Jesus at a well. May you say today, I met Jesus at a church in Greenwood, Indiana at the beginning of 2023. If that's you today, and you've walked in here, And you've never seen Jesus for the Savior that he is. Today is the day that you, from your seat right there, you call on him in prayer. You say, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I'm hopeless apart from you to save me. Come save me from my sin. And I will follow you for the rest of my days. May you cast your faith on Jesus today. Today cannot just be about information. It must be about transformation. From a worship standpoint of Jesus making her heart a worshiper, we just got to be honest today and go, where am I still dipping the worship bucket of my life in wells and broken wells that will never satisfy? And all of us in this room have different ways that we attach worship to things worship was never meant to be attached to. Whether it's pleasure or more or career, popularity, whatever it is, would we, just, would we just run from those today? Can we just confess those before the Lord today and forsake them and leave them? 
You and I both know why go back there. It leaves my soul more thirsty every time. So Jesus is after us. He's after our worship today. He's after for us to see him for who he is. And once we see him for who he is, we'll worship him for who he is. Once we worship him for for who he is, we'll witness out of the overflow of that. Today's got to be about transformation, not just information. From a witness perspective, who needs to hear about Jesus this week? And when are you going to tell him? Who needs to hear about Jesus this week? And when are you going to tell him? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say this to just pull on emotional heartstrings. I'm just going to say it to be real, to create a sense of urgency in us who have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm 35 years old, and two of my last three trips back to Michigan have been to do funerals or to be at a funeral for classmates or friends. 35. Last week, mom calls and says, did you hear about such and such? She passed away. Another classmate, gone. I'm not saying this to just create, create some, but I'm saying this, there's an urgency to this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When we see him, when we've met him, when we see him for who he is, when we're worshiping out of the overflow of that, how can we contain that joy? You have to meet him too. I, I, I see you like me are drinking from wells that will never satisfy your soul. Come, let me show you one who's told me everything I ever did. Let me, come, let me introduce you to someone who's a well of living water who you'll drink from for all of eternity and you will never thirst again. That's the message we, we, we have in our heart and must proclaim from our tongue. Amen, amen, amen. So church, will you stand with me? Will you stand with me? I want to send us out of here. We've been, we're going to sing this song to close every single, every single week in January. And the, the very opening of the song is a, is a message to what I'm speaking to right now. Can we go to just the lyrics? The lyrics of the opening of the song, if we can. Should nothing of our efforts stand? No legacy survive? Right? Unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, the builders strive. Keep going, keep going. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ, right? Our life's a mist. It's going to be gone. The only thing that matters is that we're worshipers of Jesus. And then from that overflow, we're witnessing to the power of Jesus to save more sinners just like us. Amen? All of our life about that. Let's sing it. Let's sing it. Proclaim it as we leave.